at this point. He's flinging all over the place. I didn't have the choke, like, fully in, so he wasn't going to sleep. He pulls out the pistol that he had just shot Mark with, and he reaches back like this, and he puts it against my head. I can't... There's nowhere to go. I'm like, all right. Yeah, he was a shitty terrorist, but he could cycle through his guts real quick. (laughs) (laughs) They sent their words. I know. Another episode of Hot Boxing. Hell yeah. I'm Mike Tyson. I'm Evan Britton. And today we have a few heroes with us. Yes, we do. That's a great way to introduce these guys, yeah, man. no doubt about it, man. couple of heroes. We've got Spencer Stone, who we'll get into your incredible story in a minute. And we've also got our favorite veteran of all, Carlos McAfee, in the house. Great to have you, man. So, Carlos, tell us, was it, was it um, chaotic in Vietnam? What was it like? There Was it any, any kind of control? Was, I look at movies, and there was like, no, no, but who was in control? Well, that depended on where you were at any one time and whoever took control. Really? Was, That's what it appears like, seemed like on television. Nobody was in control until somebody stood up and said, this is how it's going to be. The people in Washington thought they were in charge, and then it went down from there. Until you got down to the guys getting shot at and shooting back. And then those are the ones that the real heroes. They're they're the ones that did the job. And the circumstances were different for everybody. I mean, we talk, you say you got a couple of heroes here. All those people are heroes that faced up to what they had to face. But how did you receive missions, you know, in such a chaotic state like Vietnam? How do you... um, how, how did you get the missions? Did people send missions to you that we had to take over this bridge, that we had to infiltrate this um, facility? Yeah, as it structures down, Mike, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, you've got an overall objective for a unit or a, a large uh, army, for that matter, and uh, something has to be done. And you break it down into pieces, and so it gets down to where you got a lieutenant, a captain, a sergeant, Somebody in charge of other people and equipment that got to go kill those people that are trying to kill you. It really gets fundamental. I hadn't thought about it before, but almost like a boxing match or something. When it gets down into the core, uh, and and those are the guys. How do you know where to find the enemy at? Uh, they let you know when you get around them because they're starting to try to sh- shoot at you. But you don't know this town is the enemy's town? You don't know that at all? Uh, not really, usually. Uh, we oh. we would think we... Blind we were, going in blind, huh? I, initially, I was an advisor with the Vietnamese Marines, and so I was advising the uh, Vietnamese, the southern Vietnamese, against the... Uh, enemy and they usually kind of knew where they had to go and what they had to do and then we were there as advisors to make sure that they had the wherewithal to do the mission whatever they were trying to do how do you prepare for that how do you train to be in the jungle that you're not familiar with you never had any kind of inclination with how do you prepare for that that's an interesting interesting question mike i've i thought about that a lot because you look back at the recent wars you prepare, you learn the core, the core traits, you learn your job. And then they just put you with that job into a terrain, into a, a, a war, if you will, Korea, Vietnam, the Mideast, where they are. You don't learn 
that area, you don't have time. You go in with your with your traits, you get a job, you figure it out, and you go do it. People that have not experienced that would have a lot of trouble understanding it because uh, they talk about all the planning for war and combat. And once once you launch and once those shots start firing, you just you got to throw the plans away because then you're dealing with your gut training. And that's why certain units stand out and other units and don't stand out because they didn't get the training and the discipline. True that. Whoa. Well, can I just say I feel like a dickhead. Would you guys um, introduce <laughs> yourselves with your rank? Your ranking. I I'm a retired Marine, uh, a retired Lieutenant Colonel. I was an artilleryman, and uh, I retired a lot of years ago. I retired in 1975. Wow, not long after Vietnam. Well, about. Uh, I, I I was in Vietnam twice. I was an advisor once, and I was a battalion commander at the end of Vietnam. I had an artillery battalion that I brought out of Da Nang uh, at the end of the war. And are there friends there, many you never forget? There are a lot of friends that you never forget. Naturally, at my age, not many of them are around anymore. But... Uh, no, the when I was an advisor, the attrition rate was extremely high. Later, the attrition rate out of when I was there at the end uh, was not so high. It was pretty quiet. Have you ever seen the flamethrowers, those guns before? <laughs> yeah, I have. have uh, happily, I've always been on used? the right end of them. Yeah, yeah you saw them used before in combat. Oh, yeah. You know, at, at that time, we were using them quite a bit. That had to have been such an inhumane I always weapon. Feel like the the Vietnam War was probably the hardest war for any of us to fight. No one. What do you? What would your perspective on that be? Uh, I. It, it's interesting you ask that question because wars are so different. I have a grand nephew that spent seven or eight tours in uh, in the current wars, and he and I have compared notes, and it was enlightening to both of us when we compared what happened when and where how the war was fought from an individual standpoint, not from a big strategic standpoint, but how the individual faced the situation. And as you say, Spencer, the Vietnam was very, very, very difficult. But it, what you guys, what the people are facing today and have been facing in the last 20 years in the East, are just it's totally different and totally different lethality, different weapons. And the Vietnam was different because of the the, the uh, canopy. You really couldn't see in, in the grass. I mean, you were, you were, you were blind for most, much of the time. Uh, yeah, so I did about four years and some change in the Air Force. Uh, I was a medic, uh, and uh, originally I went in to go do pararescue, but I wasn't able to get into the program Ended up failing out of another school and then just being reclassed as a medic, which really just in the end is what I wanted to do anyway. Medical field has always interested me and things like that. So I kind of fell into where I needed to be. Um, I started working in a pediatric clinic at first, uh, so just working with kids and stuff like that. Uh, and that was awesome. Loved that. Did that for a few years. And then I got stationed on this uh, little island in the Azores 
which is right off like 700 miles off the coast of Portugal. Uh, and I did ambulance services out there. Uh, like that place, man, it, it was supposed to be a short tour, you know, but uh, it was more of a party on that island because we, <laughs> we only had like 500 Air Force guys. It's more of like a gas station, you know, so everyone's pretty healthy. There's not really much going on. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, pretty much about three years into my contract with the Air Force, uh, the terrorist attack happened. And then I essentially became the poster boy for the Air Force uh, for the rest of my career. Um, I traveled all over the place for them, doing speeches, doing really anything they wanted me to do. I went to the White House a few times. Uh, so that was a really cool experience. That was, wow. What yeah. about the White House? I know that people was, that have been there before. I, met the, I never met a president it, before. It you know was, I mean, left from other countries, never met an American president before. It was crazy. I mean, just like... Everything that we were, me and my friends were experiencing at that time was like, we almost became like so numb to it that like we were just, it was like we were living in a dream because it was just like one amazing thing after another. Like the day we met the president, we had our medal ceremony in the Pentagon courtyard and the entire Pentagon came out and our, you know, our families are there. That was the best part about it uh, is that. You know, I, we got to bring our families along with us, and like I had a moment when we were flying to D.C. that I realized that it was the first time my mom, brother, and sister, and I had all even been on an airplane together. And so, and then we're going to the White House. You know, so it's just a crazy, crazy experience. And we go, and you know, I get a Purple Heart, the Airman's Medal from the Secretary of Defense, Ash Carter. Uh, my my friend Anthony, who's not even in the military, gets a Medal of Valor. Uh, from the Secretary of Defense. My buddy Alec gets the Soldier's Medal. Um, and then, you know, we go pretty much directly from the Pentagon to the White House, and we're getting ready to go into the Oval Office. And it was like, it was just so surreal because I go in President Obama at the time, and uh, he's just looking down at like some briefing or something like that. And I'm the first one to walk in. And he just looks up and he goes, Hey, Spencer, how you doing, man? And I was like, Oh shit! Like I didn't know what to do. Like I'm in my uniform. I don't know if I'm supposed to salute you, or or what. But I just went up and said, "How you doing?" Shook his hand, and uh, we like had a private 15 minute meeting with him in the office. And he was just a super cool guy. I just remember because I was sitting in the vice president's chair, and he was to my left, and I'm just like you know kind of looking at him talking, and I'm just like you know my mind's just blown at that point i don't even know what to say if he said something to me really uh and i just see that there's like a red button next to him and i'm just like yeah. what's that fucking red button for man <laughs> that's the button they always talk about ready to yeah, start a war no. baby <laughs> the red button uh, man. but oh. but uh yeah it was crazy uh just did a, an amazing experience just to be at the white house there's so much history there so so I know you've probably done it a million times, but can you take us through the train oh, attack? De- definitely, man. Uh, basically, you know, the, the backstory is, right, I was in the Air Force at the time. Uh, and since I I'd never, before I joined the Air Force, I had never even left California. So I had never done much traveling before. And that was kind of like, you know, my purpose, I guess, of joining. Like I wanted to go to war, I guess, when I was first joining, but I wanted to travel as well. I needed money for college and things like that. Being so close, like being in Europe, but not really in mainland Europe, I was like, I have to take advantage of being here because I don't know if I'll ever 
be able to do this again, you know. Uh, it's only like a $300 flight to get to mainland, and I had about like 60 days of vacation saved up. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go uh, with or without anybody. But then I started calling my friends up. My friend Alec, who was just getting off a deployment with the Army in Afghanistan, uh, so I knew he was going to have some time off, and I wanted to see if he wanted to meet up. Then I hit up my friend Anthony, uh, who was at Sacramento State at the time in his senior year, and I was just like trying to – you know, and we've all collectively known each other since we were 12 years old, so we're just lifelong friends. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, I'm just telling him, hey, man, you don't go on this Europe trip. You should come with me. Uh, and he was like, man, I don't have any money. And I was like, man, just take out a credit card. It's all good, baby. You'll pay that shit back. <laughs> I was like, let's just go. I love it, yeah. So, yeah, hell yeah, bro. Yeah. Wow, I didn't think you were like yeah, that. Yeah, man. Think, you got to live life, man. Hell yeah, dude. So, like, literally, Holy he applied Lord. the day I told him to do it, and uh, he got approved for a $10,000 credit card. So, hell it was yeah. just like, boom, we on, we on the way, baby. Uh, and so, me and Anthony started the trip. And we started in Venice. My buddy Alec wanted to go meet this girl in, in Germany he'd been talking to for a while. So we were like, all right, go do your thing. We'll meet up with you eventually. Uh, so we went to Venice, uh, Rome, Munich, Berlin, uh, and then we all three met in Amsterdam. That's a fun place, oh, too. Man, I, Amsterdam is tight. You bet. Yeah. You bet. I was in the military at the time, though, too. So man. it was like, uh, I was just like. Because you're getting drug tested. Yeah, definitely. Oh man, when you get back from vacation, it's like right you know, away. Immediately, they know what's up. They know How do you, you clean you up? How much time do you, you have go. to clean up? Uh, I mean, you could work it in your favor, but I'm I'm the type of guy I don't like to take chances like that. Yeah. you know what I'm saying. So I just figured I'll wait. It's to, sketchy. It's sketchy. I, you know, it's like I gave I gave an oath, and I'm gonna I'm a I'm gonna live up to it. So uh, I didn't do anything, uh, but we still had a great time. And uh, we're like, you know, three days in at this point, and we're like debating whether we should stay or not because our in next Amsterdam. in Amsterdam because we loved it so much. So much fun, beautiful wow. weather, beautiful people there. Oh, They're all very nice. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's what people think of Amsterdam, right? Smoke weed, legal weed, uh, the red light district, things Good, like yeah. that. Yeah. But when you yeah. go to the city, it's a cool city. You know, like yeah. you could spend some time there. I've heard great things. You guys are. You never been. Sound awesome. Oh, oh, man. Oh, you man. gotta go. Evan. I gotta go. Oh, Damn, Evan. You don't want to leave, Evan. Yeah. He's uh, stuck uh, in the fog. I'm you not sure leave. you're ready. <laughs> I go there, I get stuck. Maybe I'll go. I won't come back. <laughs> I stay longer than I should. I'm mysterious to dry. I used to stop by and pick up smoke and come back to America. I wind up staying there for a week. Uh, I well. miss my flight and everything. <laughs> We were close to doing that. We almost missed our train. Uh, the, like the train, the train we were supposed to be on. We almost rescheduled ourselves to like leave two days later. Ugh. But me and my friend Anthony had already bought our tickets, and my friend Alec hadn't yet. So we were just like, "All right, man, we already have our tickets. Like, let's just keep on scheduling and get going." You know, like we don't want to go through all that. And uh, so he bought his ticket. Uh, we're we're leaving. You know, it's it's August twenty first, two thousand fifteen. We get it's like just a regular day. Uh, you know, we, we went and got some Bur- Burger King and, uh, then we got to the train station. We're waiting to get on. And, uh, like initially we had bought like the, cause you, you know, when you travel around Europe through the train system, you can buy like a train package, right? Like where mm. you can go to like 10 different cities for like a lower cost than what you would normally pay. Mm. And, uh, so, but we about bought like the first class version of it. 
And so we initially helped like this older couple get into the into the train, and so that displaced us. The first class was like way on the other side, and depending on what train you were on, the first class could be like really nice, or it could just be like whatever, you know. So we were just like we saw this area, and we were like let's just chill here. So we're just hanging out for like twenty thirty minutes. Uh, and then the Wi-Fi was bad. Uh, so, you know, I just told my friends, hey, I'm going to go check first class, see if they have better Wi-Fi, and I'll see what's up over there, and I'll be back. Uh, so I go, I check it out. It's dope. They got better Wi-Fi. I come back. I'm like, hey, let's go to first class. We pick our stuff, say goodbye to the people. Uh, we sit down. You know, it's, immediately we get, like, little sandwich wraps, some French wine. It's it's super nice. It's just like, ah, oh, we're headed to Paris, you know. Like, this is crazy. Uh, and... Uh, as we went through Brussels, uh, the terrorist came on board. His name was Ayub El Khazani. Uh, he was like later later confirmed uh, ISIS terrorist. Um, and he comes on the train. He's got an AK forty seven, three three hundred rounds of ammunition, a nine mil pistol, a box cutter. Oh, uh, this is gonna be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Uh, it's a movie. It's a movie, baby. Uh, it is a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do this. Like, I go around speaking all the time. Oh, like, this is like shit. what I do to pay the bills. I love it, bro. Yeah, so, uh, so, keep keep yeah. it rolling, yeah, dude. This you. is I amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there, he, right. So the way the trains are set up, there's a train car, and then there's a corridor where it's like a bathroom, and you can put your luggage and stuff in between each carriage. And so he is in. The corridor right outside the door that we're sitting outside of. And he goes into the bathroom. Uh, he's watching like extremist videos on his phone. He's watching like beheadings, shootings. Fuck, he's, getting he's getting pumped up. Yeah. yeah. He's, getting pumped. he's getting ready Fuck. to do his thing. And so. Had you seen him get on? I was asleep. When, you we, were got, asleep. when we got wow. up to first class, I, you know, had some wine. I was chilling. I put my headphones on. I had like Bose noise canceling headphones. Yeah. I'm listening to like some R&B, Anthony Hamilton, you know, so I'm just chillaxing. <laughs> oh, you laying back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, heaven. You're in heaven. Yeah, headed to Paris. Let's go. Where the French girl's at, you know, so uh, we're, we're going and uh, I'm asleep. He's in the He's in the bathroom getting pumped up. Uh, and then there's two guys outside the bathroom waiting to go. One guy is named by the his name is Mark Mugallion, who I credit him with saving my life and really just taking the bullet for me. Uh, and then there's another guy who uh, his alias is Damien. He's a French banker. And he just doesn't want to be involved because he lives in Paris and things like that. Uh, and so they're waiting to go. And they're you know the guy's been in there 15, 20 minutes, and they're like, hey, what's what's going on? I don't know. They're talking to each other. Basically, then the door just suddenly opens, and out comes Ayub, and he's got he's shirtless. He's got the backpack strapped to the front of him so he can grab all the magazines, and he's got the AK like this. Fuck. And so that guy, Damien, uh, the French banker, grabs him by his throat, and just like he doesn't know what to do. It's just like initial reaction, and wow. starts trying to choke him. Crazy. Crazy. So it becomes like a whole big scuffle in that area, but like no one knows what's going on because it's closed off, right? Oh, it's like a Jesus. small little space. And uh, Mark, uh, who's a badass, he uh, ripped the AK out of his hands. And he's an American citizen, but he moved to France when he was 18, and he's been living there ever since. Uh, really cool guy. And uh, he rips the AK out of his hands, runs into our car with it, because uh, he's like, all right, I'm just going to get it away from him, you know, create some distance. Uh, then the terrorist, I guess, was able to knock out 
uh, Damien, the banker. And uh, he, what I believe happened, because it's the only thing that makes sense to me, uh, is that he pulled the pistol out. And then as he pulled the pistol out, he he fumbled the magazine out of it. Mm. And so he and only had, had one, one bullet, bullet left. Yeah. And you know when the magazine's out and you and you shoot, yeah, like, it's correct. not it's not going to stick yeah. back and let you know it's it's empty. And so he marks running. He picks up the pistol, he shoots him through the glass. Uh the bullet goes in his upper left back shoulder, bounces around his rib cage, breaks uh. breaks two ribs, oh, collapsed his left lung and then comes up and out of his neck and severs his carotid artery. So he's So fuck. do you feel that bullet moving inside of you when it's ricocheting? I talked to Mark and he he said no. Like he just said it it felt like like just a big like boom hit his back and he just fell down wow and then uh he saw, he just said he you know saw the blood going over his eye and everything he it said it was warm like coming out of his neck and everything and Fuck. so he just plays he crawls underneath a seat and he said oh i was just gonna play dead and uh he just kind of assumed that the terrorist was coming up to you know just finish him off put a bullet in the back of his head and so uh that happens and like so like i said i'm still out. asleep but there was a yeah he no, he doesn't pass out. He's awake the entire time. Oh wow! Uh, I guess he like uh, looked at his wife under the underneath the seat uh, while that was happening too, and was like making eye contact with her. And, but there was a train employee who saw what was going on, and he took off in the other direction towards the front of the train. So we're I'm say I'm facing the front of the train right now. I'm on the aisle seat, and my buddy is on a single seat across from me. So there's like you know it's just airplane aisle size. He takes off right past me. That commotion like wakes me up, and I'm like, "Why is he running like that?" You know, like that doesn't seem normal. Yeah, (laughs) and so I I take my headphones off. I turn around, and uh, well, I hear uh, as soon as I take my headphones off, I hear glass breaking, people screaming. I turn around. The first thing I see is the terrorist picking up the AK-47 off the ground, and then just. Loading around into he it. Off, he, he hadn't. He hadn't yet. That that was the thing. Uh, so he. It looked like he either like short stroked it or jammed it or was on safety or something like that. And he just hadn't started shooting yet. And I'm just like looking. I t- turned around, looking down. I'm at the aisle. And I'm like, like, what, like, what's going on? Like, there's like, I felt like there was something wrong with his gun. And then my buddy hits me on the shoulder and he says, "Go, Spencer." And I was like, "Oh shit." Like, I gotta go, you know, like I'm in the aisle seat, like you have, you gotta get up first. And, uh, so I just pretty much, I figured, you know, you're going 200 miles an hour on this train. There's nowhere to go. He's got a loaded automatic AK-47. You know, you're either going to do something or you're going to wait there and just wait to get executed. And, uh, so I was just like, might as well just go out in a blaze of glory. And I, I run at him and... As I'm running at him, there was nothing wrong with this gun, uh, I guess. And he he pointed at me because I'm, you know, the only dude standing up, big white guy running at him. He pulls the trigger, doesn't go off. Uh, it was actually a bad primer. Uh, and oh, if anyone is listening Lord. to the podcast that doesn't know what a primer is, it's what ignites the gunpowder in the bullet casing and actually makes the bullet, like, propel at you and, and shoot you. Uh, so that was a dud. Click doesn't go off. That gives me enough time to get to him. I tackled him. Uh, he hit me in the face with the gun as I tackled him, so I couldn't even see anything out of my left eye. It's all busted up already. And we're kind of like, you know, on the ground. And I'm, I, I, but luckily I've been practicing jujitsu uh, like nice. one year prior to that. 
And uh, so, like, that's immediately what I went to. Uh, I was like, if I could just get up in this dude's face, I know I can do something. Because, you know, I'm familiar with firearms and things like that. It's like if you're up and close and if you're right here, there's not much you can do. You know, you can, like, steer the gun away from you if you need to and things like that. So uh, we're on the ground wrestling. I'm trying to grab the gun from him, but I can't see anything. I just got, like, I'm, I'm pretty dazed at this point. And he, I just feel him, like, rip the gun out of my hands. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I was just kind of expecting to get shot in the head or something. And so I stand up really quick. And then uh, luckily he – I guess he didn't have the gun in his hands. I uh, take his back and I put him in a rear naked choke. And then I flung uh, myself and him against the train in between this table and a few chairs. Uh, I, like, smack my head against the glass, bust the back of my head open, uh, and then – you know, at this point, he's flinging all over the place. I didn't have the choke, like, fully in, so he wasn't going to sleep. And uh, he pulls out the pistol that he had just shot Mark with, and he reaches back like this, and he puts it against my head. And there's, I'm, you know, there's chairs, tables to the right of me. I can't, there's nowhere to go. I'm like, all this right. This guy got so much fucking resources. Yeah, oh, that, he was a man. shitty terrorist, but he could cycle through his yeah, guns. Yeah, he They sent their wives. I know. <laughs> So he pulls out the pistol, puts it in my head, click, doesn't go off. I'm like, oh, my God. And wow. it's like, you know, how can you explain any of that other than it was God, in my opinion? I was, say, listen, I was, oh, God. I was yeah. just getting ready to say, you should just go to God now. Yeah. <laughs> I was just getting ready to say when you said that. Oh, I, said, you I, I, make it a, I make it a point of everything I, I do. I try and, you know, give God the credit because uh, I'm just like, there's no way that I would be here if it wasn't wasn't for him. So... My buddy simultaneously, pretty much as he pulls the trigger, runs up, grabs the handgun out of his hands, pries it out, uh, and then he starts to butt, hit him in the face with it, you know, just with the with the end of the pistol. And uh, I'm thinking he doesn't have any more weapons. And I just hear this, like, well, I just feel this burn on the back of my neck. And I'm like, ugh. And then I look over at my thumb, and then my thumb's hanging, like, halfway oh. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, but I'm confused at this point because I I didn't see the knife and uh, I just go oh how did that happen like I literally <laughs> say in my head I go how did that happen and then I, I look over his shoulder because right I'm on his back and I just see him with this like extended like six inch box cutter blade ah, right and he's and he's just going like this I mean he's going and cutting up my arm uh, and everything and oh. uh, I just scream like hey, he's got a knife he's got a knife get him off me I, I push him off me. And at this point, me and my friends are all pretty much surrounding him. But it was, like, the first moment, too, that, like, no one had a weapon in their hands. And so we just, like, all looked at each other for a second, and we were like, oh, shit. Just, like, just start punching him, kicking him, do whatever we could. And then he either, like, flung himself into me or he was pushed into me or whatever. And then I pretty much just used his momentum, and we threw him over this table. And so now me, my friend Alec, and Anthony are all putting our weight on the back of his neck, like holding them down, telling him to stop moving. And he's flinging his arms everywhere. And uh, my, my buddy Alec grabs the pistol again and cocks it back and tells him, hey, stop resisting, stop resisting, stop moving. He, does, you know, he's just not, he doesn't stop. Boom, pulls the trigger, doesn't go off. Cocks it back again, pulls the trigger. So we tried to shoot him twice with his own handgun. But that's when we learned that it was empty. So we tossed it. And then I pretty much just said, okay, screw it. And then I threw him in another rear naked choke, did the same exact thing, slammed myself against the train again, and then just was finally able to choke him unconscious. Uh, but, you know, and then once he's on, I mean, I was going to kill this guy. I was seeing red, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> I, and I would have felt no remorse about it. Yeah. Uh, 
Because he had, honestly, he... He was, I was just thinking this guy should die. I'm mm. no one to think that who might have said that. I, well, that's I, just the, I have those. Uh, I have those thoughts too, uh, uh, for sure. I mean, you should have seen me in man. the moment. I was just not. I, I, you can You wouldn't recognize me. I feel like I'm a pretty nice guy, but I want to kill him for sure. Uh, I mean, that would be the only thing you could think of how to shut shut him down. Where yeah. the fuck this guy come from? He's actually uh, from Morocco. Yeah. Yeah, Northern Africa. Uh, and he immigrated into Spain and then uh, became involved with e- extremism and things like that. Uh, but so at this point, right, he's he's unconscious and I'm like, I'm going to kill him. And because I had been choking him at least for a full minute after I felt his body go limp. I like got to a point where I had to stop and rest and then like reapply the choke again. But then we... My friends yell out, hey, this guy's been hit. And I look over the the train seats and I see Mark stand up, who had been bleeding out this entire time. And uh, like I said, I was a medic in the Air Force. And so I said, oh, okay, hold this guy down. I'm a medic. Like, you know, make sure he doesn't wake up, tie him up, do what you got to do. My friends and everyone and a, and a guy from the UK ended up hog tying him with like some, uh, some employees' ties and things. And I crawled over to Mark. And I took my shirt off because uh, I was going to, like, use it as a bandage to hold pressure with. And But once I realized uh, that it was, like, pressure behind his wound, I was like, oh, that's his artery. I have to, like, you know, grab the artery pretty much. And so with the same hand where my thumb is hanging off, I stuck my hand in his neck because he, had, you know, had a pretty good-sized hole. Uh, and I could feel the artery kind of, like, pulsating, wiggling around. And I just... Put pressure on it, and then the blood flow just completely stopped. Did he live? He did. Fuck. And he oh, played himself God. in the movie too. Good. Yeah. Fuck. I I didn't think he was gonna live though because too much blood, huh? Too much blood. I mean, he had been bleeding out the entire time we were fighting. Oh, you know, geez. from a major artery. When I came up to him, he was in a pool of his own blood. Oh. And so, even though I stopped the bleeding, I was like, "We are nowhere near." an ambulance or a hospital like we still have some ways to go we're Train's in the middle of the countryside moving. well the train actually stopped someone hit the emergency oh, wow. so we had to get the train going again too because it's kind of i like to rag on the employees a little bit the employees that took off ended up locking themselves in a safe room when the train stopped they jumped off the train ran oh. across a field hopped a fence and caught a cab and left <laughs> oh, what the man. fuck guys yeah 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 so they got some shit for that but uh, so then you had to drive the train too well we just told the conductor <laughs> luckily the conductor stayed like the guy driving the train and uh he he got the train going again and we held that position for 30 minutes uh with my hand in his neck and he ended up surviving and i even at one point asked him if he wanted to say a prayer Cause I was like, dude, I don't think you're going to make it. And he, he was like, you know, I was like, Hey man, you want to say a prayer real quick? And he was like, nah, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and what a badass. Yeah, Mark is a G. What a badass. Yeah. Holy shit. Get your hand out of my throat. I'm yeah, good. Exactly. Uh, like, he's like, I can hold uh, that. I'm don't good. worry. But, uh, yeah. So, but, uh, but it's just like you said, uh, you know, you're, when you get that training, it does kick in. Because, you know, like I said, I've been working in a pediatric clinic. And maybe, yeah, I worked in an ambulance, but I didn't really have to do anything serious. And, you know, I'd never seen a trauma like that before. And it was weird that when I walked up to him, I was so calm for some reason. And I was like, I knew exactly what to do. So, like, that's what when I talk to military and things like that, 
a lot of times the training is so repetitive in the military, it becomes very redundant. And uh, you really have to take it serious because when something does happen, and it's going to happen when you least expect it, uh, your training is what you're going to rely on, and it kicks in for well, sure. So. That goes back to what Mike said earlier. You know, how do you know plan to do this? And back to just what you said, the core training. The people know what, how to do the core needs. Whatever situation comes up, your body takes care of it. You automatically react. Yeah, you just—it's kind of like an autopilot. I feel like. and that what a what a story. Thanks, man. Well, Unbelievable. Honored to sit next man, to you. Man, uh, fucking believable. Incredible. Well, that's that's just the first part of the story. So, yeah, I got you. More. I got yeah. you on a second one. <laughs> 